welcome to another fortnightly episode of War Starts at Midnight. I'm Chris Gallagher. And I'm Jacob Graves. On today's show, we're reviewing Antoine Fuqua's remake of a remake, starring a bunch of handsome, sweaty men, the Magnificent Seven. Then in special features, we have a new segment called War is Hell, where the best special guest takes down the worst movies imaginable. And finally, we will wrap up the show as we always do, with some really rad recommendations. But first... We're joined today by a very special guest. He's a contributor to the nerd culture site Geek Melee, a Nintendo fanboy, and a connoisseur of completely contemptible culture. From cheap movie tie-in cereals that taste like sandpaper, to something called Shower With Your Dad Simulator 2015, Do You Still Shower With Your Dad? There's nothing this man won't try, at least once. And that's why he's joining us today to introduce a brand new segment we're calling War is Hell, in which he seeks out films so bad, they'll inevitably one day be turned into answers for the board game Boulder Dash. Drew Allen, welcome to the War Bunker. Thanks for having me, Chris. So we've brought you on for a very special uh, sort of segment where we're going to launch called War is Hell. Um, You want to tell us a little bit about what this is and why it is? (laughs) Um. You guys don't want to watch horrible movies, so you're going to make me do it instead? Yeah, that's pretty much okay, it. Okay, that's, that's, that's what pretty it seems much like. it, yeah. yeah. I'm, I, I, I know what movie you're reviewing today. I don't, know if, I don't know if we let the cat out the bag yet of what film it's going to be, <laughs> but uh, I did not want to see it, and I'm very glad you did. Um, yeah, I don't blame you. It's, uh, I, I, there's some sort of enjoyableness to watching horrible movies based on the fact that I get to... Uh, write about them and in this case talk about them it's just sort of fun to watch something so horrible just continue on for an hour and a half is is it though like is there is there a certain level i know you've been doing this for for a little while now is there a certain level of like almost the the threshold of something that's very horrible but not horrible enough to be entertaining oh yeah and definitely there's things like troll 2 mm-hmm. uh or the room that are just you know, beyond repair. And that's what makes it funny. And I don't think what I watched this time is that bad, <laughs> but, uh, it's still, there's something magical about seeing that movie that somehow had a budget and got put into a theater and, and got a cast. Yeah. And is a room full of people that pay ticket money for tickets to sit down and watch it. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> and I don't know See, how it happened. I, I am a lover of bad movies. That is one of my absolute favorite things to do is watch a bad movie. But typically, I go to like a closing down uh, Hollywood video. Uh, mm-hmm. War Starts at Midnight is always brought to you by Hollywood Video. Um, <laughs> and, and and get one. So I've never seen a truly awful movie in the theater except for The Village. Mm. Oh. Drew, do you have a favorite awful movie you've seen in the theater? In the theaters? Um no, the last movie I remember seeing that I thought would be good, and I came out really disappointed, and I don't even know if I thought it'd be good, but the first Transformers movie, I went mm-hmm. in like, nah, this will be okay, and it was just not okay. I, I've only seen, I think, the first two Transformers movies. I've never seen them on a big screen. I don't think I want to. They're not. No, don't. It's not like, worth your time. I, I saw it on the big screen, and to me, it was the only redeeming part of that movie is getting to see everything that big and that sharp and that crisp because there's nothing other than looking at at cool giant robots there was nothing else in that movie no no there wasn't Optimus Prime did say my bad though so and doesn't he also pee on a car (laughs) yes yes so so getting that in full 7.1 surround also also you do get to watch an Xbox product placement turn into a transformer so or just oh yeah doesn't a Mountain Dew machine also turn into a robot yeah, a, a foot-long Subway sandwich turns into a robot. It, it was bad. 
Wait, does that actually happen? Are these actual I, things? The Xbox I know happens. The, yeah, the I'm first two sure were Mountain real, Dew, but yeah. I mean, could you tell? <laughs> no, I yeah, can't. Yeah. That's a problem. If a, if a Subway sandwich turned into a robot, I'd be like, yeah, of course. Thanks, uh, Michael Bay. Of course. Now dust off your boots and strap on your six-shooter as we travel back to the old west for a review of director Antoine Fuqua's take on The Magnificent Seven. Is this the action movie we were desperately looking for all this summer? Or just another superfluous rehash? Find out next. Man carries a gun, he tends to use it. Dan, you dead? Pity. I had just ordered a drink from that man. Took a job, looking for some men to join me. Is it difficult? Impossible. How many you got so far? You and me. <laughs> Who's she? We work for her. Good lord. That's right. That man murdered my husband. I want something. I take it. He will take everything we have. So you seek revenge? I seek righteousness. But I'll take revenge. I need more than a few to help us fight. What a bunch of misfits we are. You know how to shoot that thing? I'm good. So am I. He's local, my friend. Oh, we're good. We got a Mexican. I sense we are bonding. I love a good genre flick, and more specifically, I adore a crowd-pleasing Western. In their classic Hollywood heyday, Westerns were simple stories of good versus evil set against the backdrop of gorgeous, endless vistas. The law was binary, and you only had to check the color of a man's hat to determine if he stood for righteousness or depravity. For the genre's modern-day successors, morality tends to be more fluid. Even if the heroes win in the end, it's rarely with a pristine conscience. So, I guess you could say Anton Fuqua's The Magnificent Seven is a bit of a throwback, not just because it's a remake of the 1960 John Sturgis film by the same name, or because that film was a remake of Kurosawa's Seven Samurai, which essentially invented the whole ragtag team of outsiders must band together to fight against a seemingly insurmountable force subgenre, but because aside from assembling a decidedly multicultural horde of heroes, this modern take on The Magnificent Seven, fronted by Denzel Washington and Chris Pratt, doesn't do much to explore the nuance of race, gender, and justice found in today's westerns. So guys, I'm curious. What do you think of Fuqua's more or less time-honored approach to this film? Was it magnificent or simply by the numbers? And furthermore, while staring blankly at a water-stained ceiling, could you please explain to me how fame is a sarcophagus? Yeah, um, so you're referencing True Detective? I, I'm uh, referencing True Detective and the, uh, at least at one time writer of this this film, Nick Pizzolatto. Do, 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 do. Oh. Yeah, yes. there was there was maybe only like five lines I thought had to maybe have even come from him. This was, this was, the script was a little rough. Yeah, I, I mean, from what I understand, he he wrote the original draft of this. He was, I think, the person who kind of brought it up. And then Anton Fuqua's was uh, kind of screenwriter guy who does pretty much all of his stuff. Uh, Richard Wink um, came in and did, I think, did most of the work on this script that we saw. So I don't I mean, it, it's hard to say there are definitely moments of Pizzolatto's sort of uh, philosophical bend that uh, you feel, but not to any real 
Um, it, it was it was more season two true detective Pizzolatto, I guess. <laughs> like nothing paid off. Right. There were parts of the script where I, I guess I could see it wanted to be a little deeper, but it just felt really, really like summer popcorn. Like the rewriters, and I did feel like there were parts without even knowing the history of the script. I was like, oh, this sounds like somebody just came in and kind of did this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just didn't match the tone of other parts. Of it. It, it, I don't know. There were issues. Well, it, it it seems like there were. Well, let me. I, I want to begin here. What do you guys think? So I, while watching this, I was thinking, where where do you draw the line between like a classic or a trope and something that's like tired and generic? And where does this fall in in that? I mean, you know what I mean? Because like I think I think someone like. Um, uh, Guillermo del Toro, a lot of times, is playing with things that are sort of tried and true genre things. But at least for me in general, it's it's like, oh, but I love the way that he's doing right. that. And and I think there is a fine line there. For for me, this movie definitely falls in that everything just feels sort of generic and sort of like it doesn't it, it's not bringing up anything new. No. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I can't, I don't know where to define that line, but I think this definitely falls in the, in the ladder in the, like, why was this movie made? Um, sort of, sort of camp. And, and the thing that's sad is that I was, when it was announced, I was pessimistic, but I was mostly pessimistic because I thought, you know, we only get a good, like actual big budget Western once every five to 10 years, maybe, you know, someone somewhere in between there. Um, sure. There's plenty of, there's plenty of little small, uh, things that, that come out every year, but something that's meant to be like a big, great, vast Hollywood popcorn sort of movie. You don't get that often. And so I was disappointed in the fact that they were making a magnificent seven film. Um, but I kind of convinced myself, well, maybe they'll, they'll do something. They'll flip it on its ear. That sort of thing. I didn't feel like we got any of that. Here. No, I feel like it was pretty. Pretty by the numbers, like there were what Jake was saying, it felt sort of like they didn't take enough time with the story they had and the characters. And I know there's seven of them and you're not going to have time for anything, but none of them felt like they had any development. Mm -mm. And if they did, uh, it was all crammed in in five seconds. And it's like, now you now you know who they are. And I I don't, though. Yeah, just sort of gave it to me in two seconds. And that's they're still a blank slate. Yeah, it's just there's not enough. And even even the action was kind of not interesting. It was just sort of here's some shots of people shooting people. It just became like Vaseline on the lens. Yeah, by, you know, by by minute eighteen, it's just like uh, oh, another another guy got shot. Oh, great, cool. And and for a movie this violent, like it it was a it was a super violent, super like. I mean, we're killing women and children in the first like five minutes oh, yeah. of this, but the violence all felt very like odd, very, it, it felt like they're, they were trying to make it have no weight. Well, by, it's PG-13 too. I, so, and that's, that's insane to me. How is this movie PG-13? I mean, right, yeah. like you've got, you've got killing innocent women and children. You've got it just mowing them over. You've got Denzel Washington walking to a bar and just murdering people that he does it. He like, I mean, one guy was clearly an outlaw, but then he kills what five or six other people. Yep. And without asking any questions, I think those other people he shot, like you could hear, uh, like he shot one of them in the hand. One of them was like, you hit my leg. Like he just shot okay. them. He didn't kill them. 
But one of the weird things I thought about this movie is there were at least three instances where like a clearly off screen line had been added in post to just just explain stuff. Yeah, Yeah. like uh, right at the beginning, I noticed it when they had a a bunch of um, like tired workers on the cart being pulled through town from the gold mine and just Mm -hmm. off screen. Someone goes, it ain't right the way they treat them men. Yeah. And yeah. And I was like, who said that? Because you couldn't see. <laughs> just just like the editor was like, this scene's not working. Let me lean into the microphone. Ain't right way to treat him in. Yeah, it works. It was, now. It was, it's good. It was like the punch up that they do to animated movies where they try to add jokes in, but they've already animated the movie, so they just do off screen jokes. Oh, yeah, it was it was bad. And and a, another thing, I, I just thought the music and the sound design worked against this movie a lot. Yeah. So let's just talk about the very opening scene. It's out on the plane and there's, you know, there's score, right? Mm-hmm. Heavy and score. It's, it's like, is it horns or string? It's some, it's very, it feels very traditional and very traditional in a super generic way. Yep. Yeah. And so it didn't do enough to me to be like an iconic theme that you recognized mm-hmm. and it didn't go the other way, which it could have, which was no theme and let kind of it be in a little more realistic type you know, mm-hmm. make it seem a little more, you know, like they were out on, on the plane. And here's where it really didn't work. Then an explosion breaks the silence uh, because they're mining. They're using this dynamite right. to mine. Right. But it didn't break the silence because we were listening to a score. Like if they would have just had it be silent and it was like, oh, an explosion. What's going on? Let me let this bring me into the movie. And it it didn't. It was weird. I think what the intent was there was it, it felt like the type of thing where they wanted to subvert. So they wanted it to be almost, almost like David Lynch doing Mulholland drive, like almost so corny that you're like aware that it's corny. And then, and then say, Oh, but no, this is going to be kind of gritty and, and you know, cut the music, but it doesn't work. I, I could, I could maybe buy that, but the score stayed through the whole, like this was a really yeah. heavily scored picture. There, there was only one piece of music that really worked for me. And it was, it was towards the end. It was, I think when Denzel Washington did or said something, and that's as, that's as specific as I can get because this movie was kind of mud by, by that point. <laughs> but there was, there was one moment where the score like picked up big and it was like, Oh, this is what I wanted the entire time. Yeah. And, and why didn't and we get that? The other thing I think just talking about stuff that didn't quite, work or pay off when uh at the beginning of the movie i thought oh denzel washington's gonna lean in and whisper in this guy's ear and this is gonna be a thing he does two or three times Mm. and it never really came back (laughs) really the only thing that they had throughout this movie that was a continued trope was chris pratt and his card tricks his magic his yeah distractions like that's the only thing that felt like it was a clearly thought out idea that was introduced and then paid off um, everything else. And let's do you mind if we get into sort of characters a little bit? Because I think that's for me where some of the biggest problems are. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I, can you name two characters in this movie that actually have chemistry that you can like identify exactly what their no. history is or no. what they're like? I, I feel like with with Denzel, you're dropping two great opportunities. You're dropping the opportunity for him and Chris Pratt to have some sort of dynamic. And I think uh, in, in just their charisma as actors, they're both capable of pulling that off. Yeah. And then you drop uh, Denzel and Ethan Hawke, who, you know, this is, this is them coming back together with Anton Fuqua for the first time in, yeah. in 15 years since training day. They had great chemistry in that movie. And 
the only the only thing that you get even as far as like understanding that they have some sort of relationship is that really bad exposition moment where about halfway through the film when Ethan Hawke says something about I just want to make sure that we're uh, you know fighting the battles in front of us and not behind us and it, it's like oh remember we have history but none of that is there's no. no time taken for anyone to explain what's going on and then Ethan Hawke you have you have the moment where that first gunfight he's essentially proven to be impotent like he he can't fire his rifle um and and even his uh his uh buddy who's i can't remember the the character's name the knife throwing uh, uh billy Asian rocks guy. yeah he he kind of covers for him you know he's yeah. obviously aware of of the issue and then we have zero zero like build up or or progress or anything and then suddenly it's like oh no he can blow the heads off of all of these he's fine yeah he's fine don't ask questions it doesn't matter then he ran away because he's a coward. Great. Then he came back for no reason. Well, no, no, no. He ran away because they needed a Han Solo sort of thing. Jesus. Did they? <laughs> but, like, it would, it would have even played a little better if there was, like, a shot of him way out on the plane, like, hearing the Gatling gun and was like, oh, I got to go back. That mm-hmm. would have even made it a little better instead of Anything. just like, he's gone, he's back. Yeah. I, I want to, real quick, let's just say spoilers from here on out, because I, I feel like we're, we're like edging on that territory. Yeah. So okay. from, from here forward, spoilers for The Magnificent Seven. Okay, so some other some other character things. How did you guys feel about the way these characters were introduced? It, I mean, going going and just sort of doing the whole the the recruiting thing right. that you always you Which always see. I love that concept of going to get your mm-hmm. your ragtag group of buddies together, but it just felt like some of them didn't get enough, and then the the stuff that we got that was more was. St- still kind of not enough like this D'Onofrio's character in particular was like what does he do it was also confusing yeah did when did he join the group he I, he didn't he just appeared like, and like, was like he, i've been he, tracking you it, it was like it was like no i'm not gonna join you and then suddenly he's like oh just kidding i'm here like, yeah and no one acknowledges it he just shows up and he's like shh i am i'm here yeah yeah. Like, okay. I, like if if we did not get Suicide Squad this year, I would say I would say this is the worst like <laughs> the worst sort of like get the gang together right. sort of thing. <laughs> Luckily, Suicide Squad spent way more time and was way less coherent. Yeah. Um so at least it has that going for it. But no, like D'Onofrio, how do you guys feel about D'Onofrio? His his weird character that he's uh, doing here. I'm, I'm not Yeah, Jake, what I, do you think? I kind of I kind of liked watching it, but it wasn't very good. Yeah, I like it's it's interesting it was that he weird, Yeah, what was that? See, I I appreciated it because it at least that was the one thing that felt like, oh, somebody put some thought into that, what's going on ex- here. That's like, exactly what I was going to say. It, yeah. It it felt like Vincent D'Onofrio trying to be like Tom Hardy, like trying to pull off a Tom Hardy okay, thing. Yeah. And but Tom Hardy trying to play Orson Welles <laughs> as a like man child. <laughs> uh, so you guys are probably gonna give me a lot of flack for this, but I'm gonna compare this movie negatively to another very similar movie that recently came out. 
which is Adam Sandler's Ridiculous Six. Did, it, did, did any of you guys see it? No. First off, no. it... Okay. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on. Let's pause for a second. Drew, like, intentionally watches bad movies. Still not going to watch that. He hasn't seen this movie. Yeah. Okay, why, you should why watch it. Why have you seen it. this, Jake? No. Uh, I have seen it because uh, it was it was suggested on Netflix. Jeez. Don't grill me. <laughs> I watched it with my family. It's just something to put on because we like... We like Westerns. It's not Blazing Saddles level Western parody, but there is stuff that's funny there. You have to get through the first 30 minutes of cringeworthy, unfunny Adam Sandler was born an Indian. But uh, other Mm -hmm. than that, Mm -hmm. it does a much better job than this film of assembling the crew. Of recruiting that's pretty the ridiculous bad if that's the case. I need, I guess it I establishes watch it all <laughs> the characters better. You know who the characters are at the end of uh, those six people. And Vincent D'Onofrio is doing basically a worse job than Jorge Garcia, uh, aka Hurley from Lost, is doing of the same bear type character. And mm-hmm. he. In that movie, he, you no one can understand a word he says. He's like, and nobody can understand anything he says, and that's the joke. Mm-hmm. And it still felt better than this. Well, that's that's one of the weird things is this movie. It it kind of it gets very manic in its shift between like violence, 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 and lowest common denominator joke, lowest common denominator yeah. joke. I mean, did how did your audience react to once they got everybody together and Chris Pratt shows up and he's like, Oh good. We've got a Mexican. Everyone laughed. And I didn't really know why my audience lost it. And I like, no, I, I know it was such a, like you could see it coming from a thousand miles away. It added nothing. It wasn't even like Chris Pratt can give you a good delivery of a bad line. Sure. It wasn't even that. No, it was, it was was just like, why was this line here? It was throwaway. And in, in this universe of, like late 1800s post civil war mm-hmm. no one is a racist at all <laughs> well and i'm and i'm just fine weird. i'm fine with that if they're going to explore it but that's that's the thing they, they didn't they yeah. didn't explore it at all they just say okay we've got we've got this this group that is very very diverse and it's just we're not going to address it except for chris pratt making a mexican joke once the first time denzel rode through the town all the people were like grabbing their guns and stuff and i thought it was because, you know, they saw a black man riding a horse through town and it's 1870 or whatever it was. Yeah. But no, they, they don't address it. Yeah, they don't. It seemed like most people didn't like him because he was a sworn warrant officer from the state of Kansas. And a, right. most people presumed he was a bounty hunter. No, it was 100%. never addressed. Yeah. At all. What What do you guys think of uh, Peter Skarsgård's uh, Bartholomew Bogue in this? He's he's our bad guy, our uh, our. I don't even know what he, to me, he seems like, he seems like when in the writing process, they were like, okay, this is like Daniel Plainview, right. but more in a Western setting, but, I guess. And, but that's as far as they got. Like yeah. they, they described it on the page, but they never did anything in, in the script itself <laughs> for the even, audience. To, he's barely in the movie either. Yeah. I pretty much stands there, looks uncomfortable and sweats. Mm-hmm. That's about all he did. I mean, he, did, well, he shot two defenseless people and then was immediately owned by Denzel Washington the moment he tried to do anything. Yeah. He's terrible. I mean, I like Peter Sarsgaard, but he didn't have anything to do. He had nothing to work with. This character's stupid. It was weird. It was just unnecessary. No, and I felt like maybe this was trying to play on like a a 99% uh, like a 99%er, you know what I'm talking about? Uh Occupy Wall Street kind of big bad businessman type thing, but it didn't even do enough to make 
that clear. No. Right. Well, and I, I had read that in some reviews. It And he even, I mean, they, they blatantly give you, I feel like this is probably Nick Pizzolatto when he comes into the church in the beginning and he gives the whole thing about the connection between democracy and capitalism and God. Um, mm-hmm. that, that felt very much, you know, his, his style of, of thing, but then, and, and that felt like, okay, we're going to get, we're going to get a little bit of a like sympathetic bad guy where you can maybe like see his viewpoint. And then you, you never, you yeah. never get a perspective from him again. <laughs> I, I feel like in the Nick Pizzolatta original script, maybe Chris Pratt was possibly maybe real magic. Like, I feel like it was missing <laughs> some kind of mystical quality or something that could have made that stuff all work. And yeah. Then, did you think Chris Pratt was going to shoot that guy's eye out? <laughs> no. Was I the only I, one? I thought I did. Because we had just saw one eye guy he was playing poker with. And then he's like the magic disappearing. And I thought, oh, my God, he's going to shoot this guy's eye out and he's going to be a bet. Nope. Well, just he also here. he also said, I've always had luck with one eyed jacks. Yeah, that was oh, that an line was awful stupid. line. <laughs> yeah, the whole that whole sequence was really stupid. That I, that being said, I would watch a movie about Chris Pratt as like uh, an old west cowboy gambit. I I would if they did it right. I would watch he, that. And that's, man, that's okay. The did thing. you guys like him? Because I thought he was probably one of the worst parts of the film. No, I thought it was fine, but he wasn't like I didn't like. Generally, I love him. In yeah, a role. sure. And. I didn't love him, so it was a disappointment. Yeah, you know, I didn't hate, I didn't hate this, but it was like, yeah, yeah. still why? It, it was a disappointment, and he was the best part about the movie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't That's know. Sort I think, yeah, think D'Onofrio was my favorite part. I, I enjoy, I enjoy watching him too. And I, I will say this: as much as I didn't enjoy a lot of this movie, the crowd completely bought into it. And so when he got shot by the the Indian guy, um, mm-hmm. he drops to his knees, and the crowd was like, oh. <gasps> Like it, the breath went out of the crowd because they had they liked him that much. It seemed to really work in my in my screening. Yeah, my my crowd was sort of lukewarm. Like they laughed at the bad jokes, and that was about it for the most part. Chris, it got an applause at the end. What? What? It got an no. applause at the end. I'm not. I'm Why? not lying. I'm not making it up. No. A lady two rows in front of me stood up and clapped. Oh God! Wow. Okay, well, and this was after it had been out a week. I, I've got I've got one other thing that I wanted to talk about. Um, the so the end, the showdown between Skarsgård and uh, and Denzel Washington. I really and and I thought this earlier when there were there were a couple of moments like early early on in the film, and then and then sort of when they're rebuilding the town, sort of thing. I thought they were going to drop the bell on. Skarsgård's character would have been better. Would have been a lot better. There's, Why would you even, raise the bell in a in a burned out church? Exactly. How do you it's know gonna, that it can support it? No, with all with all the Home Alone booby trap stuff. Seriously. I thought that was I thought that was the point. And then even when when Skarsgård's like laying there on the ground and Denzel Washington looks up at the bell, I was like, oh, here it comes. Yeah. Oh, it would have been perfect. And then and then it doesn't happen. And then he decides to tell his entire backstory in five <laughs> seconds. And there's also there's like background screaming of. Presumably, his mother and sister being like, "Oh no, dang!" It's yeah, like this yeah. is you're killing it. This is not good at all. It's so bad now. <laughs> like, it's it's it was, like yeah, someone yeah. read what mo- what westerns should be like, but has never seen one and went out and attempted <laughs> to make one. It's like, no, hey, no, is this no. movie Once Upon a Time in the West and Harmonica's haunted by blah 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 blah? Oh yeah, we'll just address it in the last scene. We can do that kind of thing. Yeah. See, Jake, I would like that movie better because that sounds like that movie would have been directed by John S. Rad. 
Oh, I would like that, too. <laughs> that sounds like a really good movie. <laughs> Did you think any part of the script worked? Because I, I only I only liked one part of it. Um, I know. My answer is no. Yeah, I don't. I think uh, some of the characters are cool, but they're not fleshed out. So, no, not really. I don't think anything really worked. I thought I thought Chris Pratt's anecdote or joke or whatever it is about the guy falling out the window and saying so far so good. I was okay with that. And in a better movie, him saying so far so good as he was shot and bleeding would have worked. Okay, I had that exact thought. Like I it, I thought it, that was a decent idea. In a better movie, so far so good would have worked. I actually did have a problem though with the anecdote because I'm not sure how many five-story buildings there were in the mid-19th century. <laughs> and this is like a serious, this is obviously a nitpick, but um, legitimately, I, I mean, the tallest building in at least America, if not the, I, I think it was the tallest skyscraper in America in like 1890 something was only 10 stories tall and it was built at that time. So yeah, I got to get a bit of a problem with uh, mm. the anecdote of five <laughs> stories, but uh, I don't know. We should probably take this up with Roman Mars. <laughs> uh, it, the, it's, it's so much was like not thought out. It was just, it was rough. Well, in another movie that would have been fine. Like I wouldn't have even been paying attention to that, to that fact. Like it doesn't need to be historically accurate, but it was, there was so little like right. that, I, that I was drawn into that I didn't, didn't care. You pull out all the, all the bad parts because there's just so little good. Yeah. Yeah. To focus on. Okay. Final thing I'm going to talk about, which is the final thing in the movie. These credits were awful. <laughs> they, they looked like they were made for by like a college sophomore just to complete an assignment for an animation class. They're like I I could have made those credits myself and I like I have a little bit of motion graphics, you know, yeah. background but not not any to like call my like it was it was just like someone took basically the quip, the clip art equivalent of like bullets smashing, oh. smashing glass, and just the cheesiest images. It was, it was yeah, real they bad. Had slow mo clips from the movie you uh-huh. just watched. It, it, but not, not trying to be like ironic or goofy. No, trying to be serious. Yeah, and it doesn't, it doesn't work at all. No. It's just cheesy and bad. <laughs> well, apparently, it provoked at least one woman to stand and applaud. Oh, so, God, I mean, it's knows? possible she was just applauding the fact that the movie was over. <laughs> oh, thank God it's over. <laughs> We're free to go back out into the world. <laughs> Spoilers. So, Chris, when the credits roll and, and you kick back to the old saloon, what beer do you think the Midnight Warrior should be ordering? Okay, so I I gave this a, a lot of thought and I wasn't sure exactly where I wanted to go. Obviously, I didn't I didn't enjoy this movie. I don't. I wouldn't say that I hated this movie because I think that's too much attention to give to it. It's just, it's, it's one of those things that I think five years from now, we will forget it even happened. Um, so I, I was thinking initially I was thinking, well, maybe, you know what I need to need to do with this is I, this film probably deserves a pumpkin ale, um, because pumpkin ale should not exist and they're terrible. (laughs) And, And then I realized, you know, it's not, it's not quite that bad. Um, had, had Suicide Squad come out in, you know, the, the beginning of the fall, definitely a 
pumpkin ale. But uh, I, I, I'm not going to give it that much hatred or vitriol. I'm just going to go with mil- middle of the road Miller Lite. It's a light American lager from Miller Brewing Company in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And here's here's where I where I came up with this. I was at a wedding drinking a beer or a reception drinking a beer uh, earlier in the week. And I looked down at the can and it says a fine Pilsner beer. And I got to thinking, you know, it, this is not a fine Pilsner beer. It's a fine Pilsner beer. <laughs> and uh, Magnificent Seven isn't a good movie, but it's not the worst. Like it's, it's a fine movie. I mean, they, they, they went through all the steps. They didn't, they didn't make it so bad. It was good, which I I would have enjoyed more. I think they didn't, but it's not a masterpiece by any means. It's, it's fine. Uh, It brings nothing new to the table. Just like this beer brings nothing new to the table, even though, you know, Miller invented the light beer with Miller light. I don't care. It tastes like every other light beer. It's generic. Um, so, you know, there's nothing I love about this beer, but I'm not going to waste my energy vehemently denying it privilege to exist. And that's how I feel about this, this film. So if for whatever reason you are watching this new remake of the Magnificent Seven, um, you know, enjoy it with a uh, Miller Lite. It it sounds like you're just recommending like a can that has the word beer on the side. (laughs) (laughs) That's that. Yeah, that, that would actually be fine. All right. The Magnificent Seven is currently playing nationwide. If you've seen it, tell us your thoughts at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or if email isn't your thing, we'd still love to hear from you. Ring the red phone and leave us a voicemail in your best Vincent D'Onofrio playing Orson Welles, playing a little boy trapped in a large man's body voice at 484-424-6362. That's 484-4CINEMA. Stick around. We'll be back after the break with a projected recap of week five of the Midnight Warrior Fantasy Movie League and Drew's catastrophic war is hell review please stick around As we are recording this episode, we are at the tail end of week five of the Midnight Warrior Fantasy Movie League, Jake. Um, since we last spoke to the, the Midnight Warriors, we've uh, had a very interesting week four. And uh, this uh, this week five that we're, we're just wrapping up, we don't have final numbers yet. But uh, tell us a little bit about week four and then predictions or projections for how week five turned out. So, after scruffy-looking Nerf Herder topped film school dropout in week four by a measly $2 million, going into week five, Chris was seeking redemption for his second-to-last-place finish. Hey, 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 Jake, I actually prefer to say eighth place. Um, Eighth place. Okay, okay, his eighth-place finish, and he's seeking out his first win over yours truly since week two, when we were the only two people to participate. Mm -hmm. So... 
As of press time, week five still ongoing, so we'll avoid talking about the final numbers, but I, I still think it's safe to declare a winner uh, on projections alone. Yeah. So uh, if, if you want to know if you did well, just go back and see how many times you start at Storks because it's projected at $13.3 million with only a 37% drop from last week. So it's still dominated in values with its relatively small $195 price tag. And once again, Team Film School Dropout, uh, who believed in the birds, slotted up four screens with storks and is flying high at $74 million for his Cineplex. And, and I think it's safe to call it for, for Film School Dropout. I, you know, Jake, I believe that's her Cineplex. Her? Uh, uh, do, do you know who uh, Film School Dropout is? I do. This is our friend Lacey the Green. Ooh, uh, I actually mean Lacey Bowen. <laughs> yeah, Lacey Bowen. Uh, I'm, I'm not surprised she's, she's winning, to be honest. So I'm not either. Uh, as for Chris and myself, uh, my Magnificent Seven slash Blair Witch Comboplex is neck and neck with Chris's uh, one of everything, three of hell or high water strategy. <laughs> it was a really bad strategy. Yeah. Um, I, I don't I don't know if you're going to pull it out, but we were both at 55 million something projected. So yeah, we were real close. Yeah. If, if anything breaks out on Sunday, you, you should win. But if people get confused and think Magnificent Seven is actually Seven Samurai and wander into the theater or the ticket taker misunderstands what they asked for, then then maybe I'll win. Yeah. It'd be we're going to we're going to need a really huge bump. The both of us uh, this Sunday. I, w- I would not have leaned so heavily on this on this flick had I saw it before Friday night when uh, when, the, when the Cineplexes were locked. Yeah. Well, uh, but that's the thing, Jake. I don't I like I I'm I think I'm so bad at this this fantasy movie league thing because I have no idea what an audience actually wants and I could easily see an audience being like even though it's a mediocre movie being like, "Oh, it's got Denzel Washington, the guy from Jurassic World uh, or Jurassic World." Yes. Um and that that was exactly my thought. And and some other people, I'm going to go see it. And Denzel Washington generally like I guess I mean the last thing he did with Anton Fuqua the equalizer wasn't gangbusters. Um so maybe that's a Maybe that's a sign, but I don't know. I like I really just I stress over it all week. I rearrange my uh, my lineup. I'm never like happy with my lineup. I just say, well, time's up. This is what I'm going with. Welcome to fantasy sports. That's exactly how it is. Also, I think it's interesting that you said this was Denzel and Chris Pratt and some other people. Because in my mm-hmm. head, it was a bunch of other famous people. And then I saw the movie and they did not bring out the star power for Magnificent Seven. No. Well, and they didn't even bring out. I felt like not to not to get too much back into a review of Magnificent Seven, but I felt like they could have really benefited from a casting director who just did a better job of casting people for a Western. I mean, even if you're just going to say, oh, well, I'm going to steal everyone from the cast of Justified or something like that would it would have been better than what they went with here. Or even just casting people whose name we knew and just made it a bring out your stars flick. Just uh-huh. which honestly, Ridiculous Six did a better job of casting to go back to that. Uh, so so my, qu- my question for this segment is, Drew, do you play in our fantasy movie league? And I know you don't play in our league. Why are you not playing? Do you not love us? <laughs> uh, no, but this sounds pretty great. Actually, I should definitely join up and I, I will in the, in the coming weeks. Yeah, you you should. I mean, and here here's the thing. We're already we're we're going into week six. We're at the time of this episode's release. We are in 
week six. Um, you can join at any time, though, and that that applies to you, Drew. That applies to any Midnight Warriors who have been listening to this and wondering what the hell is this and what where do I where do I sign up? Uh, real quick, Chris, I've, I've been wanting, to, I've been thinking about it, and I think the right way to do this is to give out three awards at the end of the season. Okay, one to the person with the most absolute number of uh, dollars in their theater, mm-hmm. which should be me because I started two weeks earlier than everybody, and I want to feel good about myself. <laughs> But then we should we should hand out an award for most money since week three, which is when we opened it up to everybody. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think that's an award, and we can do a spreadsheet and put that on. Uh-huh. And then the highest average per week. So even if you join late, you can still win the the most money per week against all of us. Uh, what about a fourth award for just the best week period? I like that. The best overall box office period. Because we we want to make it to where everybody can still join. We want to we want a big league. Yeah, we've, we're at we're at what nine right now. Drew is Drew is obviously joining, so that puts us at ten. Yeah, uh, I want at least a baker's dozen in this guy. <laughs> I think that's the right way to do it. Uh, we, we haven't decided what prizes are, but we'll definitely say your name on the internet. Yeah, we, we might give you... That seems like a great prize. We might give you a uh, DVD or VHS that we picked up at Hollywood Video when it was closing. That's a possibility. Uh, War Starts This Midnight brought to you by <laughs> Hollywood Video. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, Midnight Wars, if you want to join in the action, visit WSAMPod.com slash Fantasy Movie League for all the details. And meow, it's time for Drew's inaugural review in a segment we're calling War is Hell. Drew, the idea of the segment is simple. We find films so unbelievably clawful and absurd that the plot descriptions alone sound made up. Then we force you to watch them and report back on your findings. It's really an act of scientific discovery. For science. Ah, yes. For science. So tell us, what sort of miserable matinee did you endure in the name of cinematic science this time? Nine Lives is a supposed family film that somehow manages to star Kevin Spacey, Jennifer Garner, and Christopher Walken, has a budget of $30 million, and is a complete fucking train wreck. The plot sees Spacey as Tom Brand, an asshole who is a dick to everyone, loves money, and not his family. After wasting a lot of time with a subplot of whether or not to make his multi-million dollar company go public, while trying to construct the tallest building in the Northern Hemisphere, all things kids definitely like and care about, he is, by way of complete random chance and the unexplained powers of Christopher Walken's self-titled Cat Whisperer character, transported into the body of a cat he recently purchased for his daughter's birthday that he barely remembered because he's an asshole. Why? Cat Whisper? Is that is that from the movie or did you? Uh, yes, he 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 calls himself that. Like he's professionally a cat whisper. Yeah, apparently he he runs a pet shop, but he calls himself also a cat whisper because he talks to cats, presumably because he changes humans into cats. Because <laughs> that's what he does in this film. Did, did he work in the Beyond section of Bed Bath and Beyond? Because it's reminded me of something. <laughs> I'm the Beyond section. I change people to cats who are dicks, I guess, to their family. <laughs> and also, I sell remote controls that let you go forward in time. Yeah, he's playing the same character. It's it's a story you've seen countless times before, and it adds nothing to the trite nature of it. The film consists mostly of disconnected scenes of Mr. Fuzzy Pants, that's the cat space he now inhabits, being a shitlord by pissing on things, getting drunk, saying phrases like, really? Seriously? And nailed it several times apiece, and then doing a complete 180 when the film demands it. It's fucking baffling. 
The film also includes horrible cat CGI, jokes about castration, Kevin Spacey saying the word meow as mundanely as possible, and attempted suicide. Fun for the entire family. The score appears to have been done by a drunk college student over the weekend, and there are two grueling scenes involving slow-motion Mr. Fuzzy Pants flying through the air, which are then later reused as cheap YouTube cat video jokes, even though they were not filmed by anyone when they occurred earlier. Why? Okay, did he do this just because he thought uh, Joel Cohen wrote this movie, or he <laughs> wrote this movie? Because that's a lot. That's a lot like what it's sounding like. Uh, I seriously, I I can't imagine why anyone except for maybe Walken agreed to do this. Besides just wanting to work on something so mind-numbingly simple that it could be considered a paid vacation, because Spacey did no promotion and Garner just kind of bit the bullet and did her best to sling this shit. I think it's worth watching solely for the sheer lack of regard for the final product, but only if you can do so for free and preferably heavily intoxicated. It's a catastrophe that's perfectly clawful. I'm positive. (laughs) So the first thing I want to say is we made a lot of cat puns, and I I did Google for some help with them, and the first (laughs) result was like 10,000 Pinterest posts about cat puns. And I was like, that makes sense. Of course that exists. I I have one real grueling like I couldn't get past or the the rest of your your uh your review because I'm still trying to figure out the the cat gets drunk? Yes. I, exactly what, what on uh, quote 50-year-old McKellen or McCallum? McCallum? Yes. He that, just he finds it because I guess he knows where it is in his house. And then just drinks so th- so Kevin Spacey is rich out the ass. Yes, has a lot of if he, money. If he has fifty year old McAllen, that's yeah. Why and why would you waste that as a cat? I don't know. He drinks a bunch of it, makes like disparaging remarks about his ex wife, who you see two or three times and is a terrible character. Uh, and it doesn't do you any. Fa- I don't understand why she's there because Spacey's <laughs> already bad, and then she appears. It's like she's also bad. He was married to a bad person. This didn't work somehow. In in the eighties, I feel like this would have been. You have like the good family, and then Kevin Spacey and his wife are the neighbors, the bad family, right? Yeah, and then he gets turned into the cat, right? And, and learns a lesson and from learned, it, yeah. yeah. But, but he learns nothing. He's just a douche <laughs> the whole movie, and he says lines like. I should have been a better dad with seriousness. And it's just so bad. It doesn't make any sense. He doesn't learn anything other than watching his family just be like, man, dad sure is kind of a dick sometimes. And he just listens to that. So how did they handle that? How did they handle like dad's not around? Was it just like, oh, he must be on some, some business trip. No, they, at the beginning when he, changes into the cat uh first of all the preview for the movie shows christopher walken shoot a magic ball out of his hand Uh and change kevin spacey into a cat that doesn't happen in the movie they just did that in the preview i guess to condense time i don't know why but i wish they had done that instead because it would have been at least more baffling in the movie he goes to the top of his building to talk with his I guess, second in command. I don't know what he does because they don't really explain it. But the guy tells him there's another outfit out of Chicago that's going to build a taller building because kids still care about the uh-huh. tall building for no reason. Uh, and then it's raining and Kevin Spacey sort of slips and falls off the building. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, Drew. Do you realize what you're describing right now? No. This is not the first time that Christopher Walken has pushed someone off of a building and they've turned into a cat. 
What? This is this is what happens in Batman Returns. Oh God! <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> Max Shrek. Max Shrek pushes Selina Kyle out of the window, and then she becomes Catwoman. And then she becomes Catwoman. Yeah. <laughs> Christopher Walken doesn't actively push him, but it's essentially. I wonder the screenwriter when like pitching it was like, and, and he'll they'll just do like a Christopher Walken to him. We'll just do a Christopher Walken, and he'll turn into a you know the same thing. We'll do a Christopher Walken, and it got confused, and suddenly Christopher Walken was cast. And then, yeah, now he's the guy changing him. Yeah, he falls off of a building, but manages to somehow hit something and fall back into the building. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know how it happened, but he goes into a coma. Like he he, bounces off an awning or something? I guess because the building's still being made. He, like, hits a piece of the construction work or whatever, falls, breaks through the window back into the building, and then is in a coma. But when he wakes up, he's inside the cat. And so his family's like, oh, he's just in a coma. So, and he's, so Walken put him in the cat? Or are we unclear? It is it is to be assumed that, yes, Walken created the storm and also uh-huh. made him fall into the cat. So did did he ask to be, like, what what put them together? Uh, he buys the cat from Christopher Walken. Okay. and But he's a dick about it the whole time where he's just like, okay. oh, I just need a cat from a daughter. And Christopher Walken's just like, eh, you should... Maybe not be a dick to your family. I can't. Do so how does this how does this movie uh, compare you, to something uh, like the Shaggy <laughs> Dog, where where Tim Allen turns in, into a dog, or the old Was Shaggy the, Dog? Isn't isn't that um uh isn't that one a, of the Bridges Brothers? I think so. It, it's that's oh. yeah, that's an older one. Wasn't there a movie with Kirk Cameron where he turns into a dog? But he like he's a human, but he's making dog motions. That and sounds he, like, barks. It's a Disney movie. I vaguely think. familiar. Yeah. Jake, you're our you're our authority on weird Disney movies. I, this, I, I don't it, I, I like remember seeing him do that, but I, I don't know what movie that would be. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm pretty I, sure that's a movie. But it is a whole subgenre. Yeah, that should be dead and not ever come back. Did, did, did Kevin Spacey need to do 50 good deeds to turn back into a human? Is that what happened? <laughs> the 50 good deeds of Eddie McDowell? You remember uh, that that's show? what I'm referencing. <laughs> yes. Uh, I guess he needed to do something or he just wanted a paycheck or I, th- I read I read a couple articles that were. Um, it seemed like Kevin Spacey was just telling jokes and like doing magic tricks for people on set and was just having a good time. Mm-hmm. So maybe Kevin Spacey just wanted to do something super easy and fun. I, I hate hearing about, and I, I am by no means the first person to complain about this, but I hate hearing about like when, when you see the press junket stuff and the whole cast is like, oh, we had a great time. Oh, it's like, well, that doesn't mean that the movie's yeah, great. It doesn't mean anything. Means, yeah. It means absolutely nothing. It means like you guys got along. And you and, had fun shooting. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I think that happened with Suicide Squad. Yeah, probably. Look what I, all, all except for Jared Leto. Right. Like, being a fucking weirdo. Jared Leto yeah. was a dick. <laughs> but everyone else is like, oh, yeah, camaraderie. Yeah, it was really fun. This uh, movie's still garbage. Sorry. Completely incoherent. Yeah. yeah. What, if, what, what if the fact that you need to play a character as dark as Frank Underwood means that you have to do these crappy roles just to stay sane? <laughs> just to have fun. Yeah. So remember that you're a good person. The the title is Nine Lives. Does that tie into anything? No. Or is it just like, oh, he turns into a cat, so obviously the title is so Nine Lives. So the title is Nine Lives. No one okay. dies. Okay. He doesn't he doesn't like have because that could have been that could have been an interesting thing to explore. Like each time he dies, he kind of realizes his own mortality and yeah. that he's a terrible person. And he's dad a terrible person and he's trying to kill himself as a cat. Yeah. But he can't do it because he's like, keep coming back. Kind of, kind of like uh, in in Spin City, the dog that would always try to commit suicide. You know what I'm talking no, about? No, I've I've did not uh, watch that show. Uh, Cameron but... Cameron from uh, uh, Ferris Bueller. He has like a a fat ugly pug, and he's always <laughs> attempting to commit suicide. Like, and when somebody finds the dog like sucking on their tailpipe one time. Oh, and, that's like, so dark. Jeez. <laughs> 
I, I, I thought about it a lot, uh, knowing we were going to do this. I know how to save the human turns into an animal genre. I know oh, what it please. needs. It needs the love story that the girl imitates a guy secretly to be on the sports team genre has, which mm. is where the animal falls in love with a person and then feels tricked when the animal turns back into a person and runs away from them. You know what I'm talking Wait, about? What? No. No. Please elaborate. I don't get this. I need to know. So so have you seen like She's the Man with um Amanda No, but I, I I haven't, but I know the beats of that movie. Yeah. That makes sense. That is she the same. She, yeah, she, I, I haven't seen it either is where I was going, but I know how the movie works. Uh-huh. She's a man and then she falls in love with her best friend who doesn't know that she's a woman and then she comes back and they feel betrayed and run away and then come back together for the big event at the end. And so I, that's the beats of She's the Man, of uh, Just One of the Guys, if you've ever seen that on Comedy Central, because they used to show that all the time. Is that the, is that the one from the 80s where the chick's holding two football helmets over her boobs? Yes, that okay. is it. And it's the same beats from uh, Disney's Motocrossed, if we're going to oh, talk about. hell yeah, Motocrossed. If we're gonna, that movie. Yeah, <laughs> the best of the Disney channel. Okay, so how, how, do you, how do you turn this into an animal-related movie without it being totally bestiality uh, I think you just ignore the fact that it's a total bestiality flick. And it's just like, if you were a human, I would be so in love with you, cat. And and you just play it straight. You just ignore all the weird stuff and it saves the genre. And then That's the cat what turns into a person at some point, And then the yes, human and is the, like, and the girl gross. feels betrayed. You were a person the whole time and you never told me you were a cat. And she runs away. And See, then when they have. Wait, the OK, day, hold on. Does the guy have the power to turn into a cat or was he changed into one by accident? He's just changed into one on purpose. No, let's make it a dog. And so he's going to perform at the he's she's training him to perform in like one of those dog shows. Right. And he listens to the orders really well because he's a human. And then when he turns back, she's betrayed because her dog is gone. Wait, no, this This is is, this guy's putting a lot of effort into this. So he he's a guy who's turned into a dog. Yes. But then so it's it's got a fairy tale sort of thing going on, like a princess and the frog sort of thing mixed with a like uh, can't buy me love. She's all that. Um, what, what, so we have that. What if, he, what if he's an anamorph and he can just voluntarily change into a dog? And that's why she feels betrayed. I mean, I'd, I'd watch this. I just, I'm, I'm just confused as to how this is going to work. Yeah, and how it's going to be a family. This actually sounds like a subplot in, I think, like season two or three of True Blood. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I feel like this is a fan, or this is a like adult movie that you're, you're pitching now, and no one is going to actually turn out to see this movie. I think, I think you have to sell it for kids. That's the thing, because what, what kids don't want to go see a body shifting uh bestiality love story no about uh, probably none none kids want to see that you guys just don't understand kids <laughs> apparently no <laughs> <laughs> okay well if you can't get enough of drew's take on this perfectly unnecessary picture please check out his full review of the film at geekmelee.com you can find a link in the show notes of this episode since my yet to be titled children's bestiality flick hasn't been made We want you to tell us what Drew should review next. If you see a trailer positively clawful, email it to us at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Stick around for our really rad recommendations coming up next.
it's really rad recommendation time again. Drew, this is a time where we take to just recommend whatever we've you know been enjoying lately, whatever we think ties into subject, whatever. Do you have what, what do you have for us? Is it a Western, a terrible, terrible film? Is it a terrible, terrible Western? Something worse than Magnificent Seven? No, thank God. You need something to cleanse your palate after both of these movies. Magnificent Seven, not terrible, but you'd you'd like to watch something better. Uh, British TV show uh, off of Channel 4 called Utopia. Not to be confused with the um, American Utopia that I think was a, uh, like, lost, not lost, um, David Burnett, is that his name? Sure, man. I don't know. I don't know. I'm going <laughs> to. Is it, is it, is it a, I mean, a lot of times they, they turn British shows into American versions. And they were going to do it, it with this one and it was going to have, um, director from, uh, social network do it. I can't oh, remember his name really? now, but David yeah. Fincher? Yes. And then I guess projects. Was, was this one through. of his HBO things? Yeah. Oh, and it was going to be really, I was super okay. looking forward to it, but it's, it's not happening anymore. Okay. So what is it? What is this? What is it about? Uh, six episodes, two seasons. Uh, I will warn you that it does get cut off early. So, there's some loose ends that are not tied up, unfortunately. Is it Dunzo? Yeah, there's only two seasons and it okay. was canceled, so it doesn't you don't get the full story, which sucks, but it's like a um political thriller, mystery type of thing, mm-hmm. uh government corrupt type of stuff. I would recommend watching the first scene of the in the show, which I believe is maybe four and a half, five minutes. Um if that doesn't get you interested, I don't know what will, but I think it's one of the best intros to a television show I have maybe ever seen besides maybe Game of Thrones. Hmm. Interesting. It's just so much set up and so much I need to know what's happening right mm-hmm. now. The The color grading is super fantastic. It's just very bright and different from things that I normally watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the um, cinematography is great. The acting's wonderful. Uh, the setup is just super interesting and I highly recommend just watch. You can find it on YouTube. I know it's there. So okay. I'm, I'm going to say something probably a little controversial. I hate the opening that that cold open from uh game of Thrones. Do you? First episode. Yeah. What? I, yeah. I, I didn't find it intriguing. Wow. Um, it, it, it's only been the past season or two where I've cared at all about the white walkers. So, I mean, they do blue ball. It does, you make, bad. It seem, it does make the show seem a little more zombie centered than it yeah. is in the first. Because they don't appear for quite a while. But yeah. Okay. So where can we find Utopia, Drew? Um, probably on the Internet okay. in places you shouldn't be finding them because it's not they don't have a region uh, one DVD for uh-huh. it. So you can't buy it. And I don't know if you can even stream it anywhere. So yeah, I, I, I looked it up just now and it looks like if you have an account to iTunes, like UK iTunes, you can get it. Oh, but, OK. Uh, not not anywhere not the, here. Yeah. Not anywhere yeah. here that I could find. So I, I just I just searched for them online and found them on probably websites that they, they were just they were just gifted to you. Yeah. They, yes. They, yeah. They just someone sent of, them to me in uh-huh. link link form uh-huh. <laughs> on totally legit websites. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jake, well, what do you have to recommend for us this week? So I, I, I thought about recommending seven samurai because everyone should go and watch seven samurai. Uh, but I, I'm hoping a lot of our listeners have, have seen it already. Uh, then I thought, thought about recommending ridiculous six, but I'm hoping none of our listeners have seen it already. Um, but I ended up going with a, a much, a much better film that I think it's forgotten a lot. Uh, it's 1991's city slickers. Have you guys seen hmm. city slickers? I've, I've seen city slickers in the like TBS comedy central form. I have not. So 
Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I've seen it on TV a lot, start to finish, but I don't know that I've, I don't know if there's more on the DVD that I haven't seen, you know, that's been cut down, but I remember it being fantastic. Um, and uh, a lot of people don't know this, but Jack Palance actually won a Best Supporting Actor uh, Oscar hmm. for this film. Really? And it, it is really good. And even though it is set in modern times, well, modern for 1991, and even though it's a bu- about a bunch of New Yorkers who go out to lead a cattle drive on a, for a vacation, like an authentic Western experience vacation, it is a much, much better Western than Magnificent Seven. <laughs> that's not disparaging to this film. This film's great. It's it's really good. That's a that's a good pick. One that I like I said, I've only caught like on on TV, but it's uh it's really fun. You know, it's Billy Crystal at like prime Billy Crystal moment, you know, when he's he's hosting um, hosting the Oscars and doing all that. It's pretty, wait, what would Jake, what would you say to a like reboot sequel? That is the three amigos meet city slickers. <laughs> I, th- I thought you were just going to say just a reboot of city slickers. I was going to say as, as long as Donald Glover is starring. Oh, <laughs> man. Yeah, right. Do- hashtag Donald, Donald for everything. Yes. Uh, hashtag Donald for city slickers. Um, so uh, the other thing I want to say about this best sequel title, maybe all time is City <laughs> Slickers Two: the search for Curly's gold. <laughs> I, I just challenge you to name a better sequel title except for Electric. Uh, I mean, yeah, I was going to say break into Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, always. Yeah. Right. Always. But, I mean, you got to kind of sit that one on the side. Okay. Sometimes you got to not talk about Babe Ruth when you're naming ba- best baseball players. <laughs> uh, so this film is coming soon on Criterion Collection. Not not really. Don't worry about that. Oh, okay. I was really. like, really? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but you thought about it. Uh, it. It's available wherever movies are sold um, or on a VHS in a bargain bin at a Hollywood video. War Starts at Midnight brought to you by Hollywood Video. <laughs> Thank you. Or go and rent it at your local public library. I, I'm going to have to check and see if, if our local public library has it. I will check this movie out. For sure. Now, Chris, what's your what's your recommendation? Okay, I've got something a little different. You know, I, I generally like to sort of tie in in some way. And uh, I'm not I, I haven't figured out a way. I'm sure there's some like calculated, misguided way to tie this in. But um, I'm, I'm going a little different. It's we are now in the first week of October. And October means it's you know getting cool outside. And I just all I want to do is watch uh, horror movies. Uh, you know, leading up to Halloween. And so I've got a recommendation. It's not quite a horror movie, but it's it still like it fits. It fits the piece. And it was a I put this in the other day and it, it's a great palate cleanser. It is Tim Burton's 1988 movie Beetlejuice starring Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis, and and of course, Michael Keaton as the titular Beetlejuice. Uh, we've got Jeffrey Jones, a wonderful Catherine O'Hare and Winona Ryder. And this is a movie I hadn't seen in a while. And my gosh, this movie is fantastic. It's, I mean, it's early, early Tim Burton. I think he'd only maybe done Pee Wee's Playhouse or Pee Wee's Big Adventure uh, before this. And it's so great and playful and shows like all of the things that I sort of love about the, you know, 80s and early 90s burden. I think, you know, probably Edward Scissorhands is my favorite. It's like it's the pinnacle of him really toying around with stuff. But I love the way that he he mixes in stop motion and miniatures and they actually like interplay with 
the story itself in a, in a very interesting, playful way that sets up the, the world in a way where you, you like very early on, you're able to buy into anything that happens. And it's a beautiful sort of stroke of world building that I think he is lost, you know, since probably at least Planet of the Apes, if not earlier. Um, he's, he's gone off the deep end and like not, uh, not, you know, caring, caring too much about like, oh, well, we got to make it a, we got to make it a CG world. That's whatever. Where like, I, I totally buy as, as corny as some of the stop motion stuff looks or some of the miniature stuff looks, I totally buy into it because he does the right things to get the trust of, of the audience. Um, and I'm amazed by how this, like it'd been a while since I'd seen it. How, how much screen time do you think Michael Keaton gets in this movie? He is the titular character after all. Uh, seventy uh, percent, thirty-five. He, the, it's probably closer to thirty-five. It's probably less though. Like you don't even see him until about forty-five minutes in. He doesn't really like come, and that's only like sort of a little glimpse, um, like over his shoulder. Wow! And you hear him talking. He doesn't actually come on screen really until like about an hour in, and then he doesn't actually really get involved until like the last thirty minutes of this movie. Um, really like I, I did not remember that at all. Like from my memory, it's like him palling around and being like a gross, creepy. Right. Dude. Um, and, but the thing is, is that the story is so good that revolves around it with Alec Baldwin, and Gina Davis being this married couple that dies unexpectedly that you don't even care. You're not even like sitting there saying, Oh, when is Michael Keaton going to show up? Right. Beetlejuice. It's, it's fantastic. Um, everyone, everyone at the top of their game, Winona Ryder's only like 17. She's pitch perfect. Um, everything's great about this movie. Uh, so I would highly recommend if you're looking for, you know, a nice little October movie to pop in, uh, check out Beetlejuice. It's currently available to rent or stream or, uh, purchase in all the normal places. Um, once again, check, uh, check your local Hollywood video or your <laughs> local public library, uh, pick it up. It's fantastic. Uh, Chris, did you seek this out because you were watching uh, Stranger Things and you wanted to see some more Winona Ryder? So actually, I, I still haven't put in Stranger Things, but this really, really made me want to uh, check out Stranger Things as a result. I forgot how much I love Winona Ryder from like the early 90s. Do it. Stranger Things is Be great. Okay. Because I started Stranger Things and immediately wanted to go watch 30 Rock because I was convinced Liz Lemon uh, is Winona Ryder these days. <laughs> <laughs> Man. <laughs> All right, well, that's a wrap for another episode of War Starts at Midnight. Find us online at warstartsatmidnight.com for show notes, links to the Fantasy Movie League, and much more. Or say hello on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WSAMPod. And Drew, where can people find you on the interwebs? I'm on Twitter at Drew J. Allen, or you can follow us on uh, Facebook at Geek Melee. We also have a Twitter there as well. Wonderful. Does Geek Me Melee have a website? It does. It's geekmelee.com. It's pretty easy to remember. Wow, how did you manage to get that domain name? I, I don't know, because it's a really stupid name and no one had it. <laughs> <laughs> if you enjoy the show, rate and subscribe to it in iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. It'll help us grow the Midnight Warrior clan, and it'll make you feel awesome. On the other hand, if you're the trolling type who simply hate listening through these credits, go ahead and tell us everything we got wrong at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or if you're a narcissist, you can leave us a voicemail and see if we play it. Just ring that bright red telephone at 484 424-6362. The War Starts at Midnight spoiler alert theme song is by The Taylor Machine. Check them out at facebook.com slash the Taylor Machine. 
And shout out to Escondido for the music on this week's show. Find tour dates, music, and more at thebandescondido.com. And join us in another fortnight for our review of the 2016 Sundance Grand Jury Prize winner based on the Nat Turner Rebellion, Birth of a Nation. And the return of everyone's favorite giant cold-blooded monster, the infamous Hunter Cakes. Godzilla Resurgence will be appearing in select theaters for a limited run October 11th through 18th, and you can bet your fat spiny tail he's going to want to talk about it. Thanks for listening, folks. So far, so good. Bury me with my money. One one thing that I really wanted to touch on with Magnificent Seven that uh, I forgot to. What the hell was going on when Denzel Washington jumps out of a building on a horse and then tramples a guy? Yeah, I, I, that was actually my favorite part of that whole <laughs> yeah. sequence because it was such such a shit show. At least Denzel rode the horse through a door. Yeah, it was it, it like I, by that point I was in like action coma where like none of the I can't believe we didn't even talk about the direction at all. Like the direction of this movie was terrible. It was just by the numbers, not a like a terrible western. Yeah, it really as, was. But it, like I was, I was yeah. so like caked over with like just more gunfighting that when that happened, it was like whoa. whoa, whoa. Like woke me up. It's like what? Can, can we get a side movie with Patrick McFifty Cal as the? <laughs> I want to know about that guy. That guy was pretty cool.